Welcome to Stonebridge. Here are some announcements and things to know. During this time of virtual and social distanced worship, it's important to continue contributing to the ongoing ministry of Stonebridge. Here are the ways in which you can give. You can give online through our website at stonebridgecme.com. Click on online giving. You can give through your bank's bill pay option, or you can send in your offering through the mail. If you'd like offering envelopes sent to you, please contact the church office. Every week during the Divine Appointments message series, Pastor John is taking a deeper dive into the sermon in a podcast called Stonebridge Extras. Stonebridge Extras was created to help deepen your discipleship, deepen your understanding of the Bible, and your understanding of how to follow Jesus. Stonebridge Extras can be found every weekend wherever you downloaded this Stonebridge podcast. Looking ahead to Palm Sunday and Holy Week, our next outdoor worship service will be on Palm Sunday, March 28th at 10.30 a.m. On Friday, April 2nd, we will have a Good Friday outdoor worship service at 6 p.m. And then on Sunday, April 4th, we will have two outdoor Easter services, 8 a.m. and 9.30. Look for more information in the coming weeks for how to register. And lastly, we would love to know that you're participating in worship. Continue to share your news, prayers, and praises by emailing prayers at stonebridgecme.com. Or if you're following along in version, please take the time to fill out the e-connection card. You are an important part of Stonebridge's community of faith. And once again, welcome to worship. Our scripture passage this week comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 21, verses 20 through 23. Hear the word of God. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. He was the one who had reclined next to Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about him? Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Follow me. So the rumor spread in the community that this disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the word of the Lord, and thanks be to God. Hello, Stonebridge. In our sermon series, Divine Appointments, this week we are looking at Jesus' interaction with two different characters. One is the Apostle Peter, one of Jesus' core disciples, one of the key early leaders in the church. And then we're also looking at this interaction with the beloved disciple, a mysterious figure who doesn't really get a name in the Gospel of John. And we're looking at these different interactions so that we can understand how Jesus interacts with us and so that that can help us understand how we are to interact with other people. So as we look to the scriptures, as we look to this story here of this interaction between these three individuals, let us pray and let us ask God to open up our eyes to the scriptures that we might see what God has for us. Please join me in prayer. Lord, speak to us through your word. Speak to us through my preaching of your word now. Take the words of my mouth, Lord. Change them and form them and make them your word to each and every one of us that we might understand you, who you are, and who you've called us to be better, Lord. So speak to us now through the interactions of Jesus with his disciples so that we can understand how we can be your disciples. We ask this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. 
Amen. This interaction that Jesus has with Peter and with the beloved disciple, it takes place directly after what I believe is one of the most beautiful scenes in all of Scripture. This interaction with with Peter questioning Jesus and Jesus challenging Peter, it happens right after Jesus has forgiven Peter and their relationship has been restored. It's a beautiful scene where there's a beach there. They're eating fish that they've cooked for breakfast. There's likely a sunrise taking place at the moment. And Peter, who had betrayed Jesus and who had denied Jesus, Jesus now forgives him, reinstates him. And you see this reconciliation happening, this restoration of their relationship. It takes place and it is beautiful and it is dramatic. And then what does Peter do? Peter turns to the beloved disciple and says, Jesus, what about him? I just love this. I love this question. I love the question Peter asks. Not because it's a good question. It's a terrible question. It doesn't fit the moment at all here. Peter has just been reunited with Jesus. He has seen the resurrected Lord and he has been forgiven for denying Jesus. And what is his reaction to turn and to focus on somebody else in that moment? It's a terrible question. But what I love about it so much is that it shows how even the best of us, and I consider Peter to be one of the best of us, even the best of us can so easily be distracted by other people. Even the best of us can lose focus about what it is Jesus has called us to and can find ourselves focused on others, comparing ourselves to others, sizing up others. Even the best of us can be distracted by others. Now, one thing that I do want to let you know, Stonebridge, is that when you called me to be your pastor, you weren't actually getting the best sour in our family. I am not the best sour. Now, now these days, the title of best sour goes to my wife, Emily, obviously. She is the best person that we all know who has the last name sour. Second place is JD. He has a chance at overtaking her. We'll see. JD is my son. He's about one and a half now. But growing up, the best sour was my sister, Beth. I've never really held the title best sour in my entire life. My sister is one of the smartest, kindest people that you could know. She is brilliant. And growing up, she already displayed that. When she was in high school, my sister did everything. She was involved in Model United Nations and won awards for that. She was elected to the student body, um, the, the class elections. I don't even know what the lingo is. Obviously, it wasn't my thing, really. It was hers. Um, but she was brilliant. She was in all honors classes. When she graduated high school, she graduated with like a 4.8 billion GPA or something crazy. I don't even know. I didn't even know GPAs could go that high, but there she was. Um, she went on to UCLA and studied there. She's now a professor. So like I said, she's brilliant. And not only is she brilliant and not only was she brilliant in high school, she was a very gifted athlete. Also, she was a four year varsity soccer player. Her soccer club team went on to win the national championship. She was with them when they won the Western state regional championships. Um, She was the captain of the soccer team when they won the CIF championship. 
she was an incredibly gifted athlete and she still is. And then on top of that, she was just kind. She was a kind person. She was a good friend and she was a really good sister to me. She's about three to four years older than I am. So she was a good sister to have, but what was unfortunate about this was that she graduated high school right when I entered high school. And like I said, she was the best sour. It's not even a question. Everybody knew it back then. In fact, even one of our cousins just posted about this on Facebook a few months ago. And I even raised a question and he said, no, no, Beth is the best. We all know that. And I had to agree. Um, it's true. So I was entering high school as she had left. So I didn't get the benefit of being in high school with her. But instead, I got her shadow. And if there's one thing that is true, it is that I am not my sister. And I was definitely not my sister in high school. I didn't get good grades. I didn't work hard at school. In fact, I rarely went to school. I got in trouble for ditching class all the time. When I graduated high school, I did not graduate with a 4.8 billion GPA. I'm not even gonna share with you all what my GPA was. It's embarrassing, but I'll tell you, it is less than half of what my sister received in high school. So I was not my sister. And as I went through high school, I felt more and more pressure to live up to who she was, who she had been. And maybe some of this I was placing on myself. Maybe some of it came from teachers who made comments about how great my sister was and I just knew there was an indictment there on me. Um, I was a much more difficult high school student as well. Um, I was much more disrespectful to teachers. I just wasn't my sister. I was never the best sour in our family. And it started to get to me though. As the years went on, it started to be harder and harder to feel like I had to live up to this shadow, that I had to live up to this reputation my sister had established. And what made it worse was that the whole time, she never tried to do that. Her intent was never to raise the bar for me. She was just trying to excel for herself. And she was always really nice to me. I wanted to be mad at her and I just couldn't. She was too good. But it is so easy for us to start comparing ourselves to others, to start being distracted by others. And I'm sure that as I tell this story about my sister, you could think of times that you have found yourself distracted by others. That's what's happening here in this story with Peter and Jesus and the beloved disciple. Peter has just had this moment with Jesus. Like I said, it's a beautiful scene. And what does he do? He gets distracted by the beloved disciple. Now, I can't say I blame Peter entirely. Because if my sister was the best sour, the beloved disciple is the best disciple. I mean, the story is written where the beloved disciple is the one that's supposed to be the ideal here. We first hear about the beloved disciple at the Last Supper. When all the disciples want to know who's going to betray Jesus after Jesus has predicted one of them will betray him, Peter nudges the beloved disciple and says to him, you ask Jesus. And you can already see that relationship between the beloved disciple and Jesus standing out. The other disciples know if you want information, you go to the beloved disciple and that's how you get it from Jesus. Later on, as the gospel of John progresses, the beloved disciple is there at the cross. And Jesus basically has the beloved disciple replace him in his own family. Jesus says to his mother, see this disciple, he's now your son. And to the beloved disciple, Jesus says, see this woman, she is now your mother. 
I can't think of greater praise Jesus could establish than bonding those two together and having the beloved disciple take his place. And then when Jesus is resurrected and the tomb is empty, it's Peter and the beloved disciple who run to the tomb together. And we're told the beloved disciple gets there first. So the beloved disciple is also physically faster than Peter here, we're told, and reaches the point of the tomb first. And then again, Jesus has been raised. They're waiting to see him, to figure out what's going on. And the disciples see this person on the beach. And it's the beloved disciple who recognizes that it is Jesus before anybody else. This beloved disciple, this is the best disciple. This is the one that everybody else is supposed to be like. So if Peter in this moment was feeling some sort of competition here, or if Peter was feeling like he wasn't adding up and he's wondering to Jesus, what about him? I can understand it. No matter what Peter's motivation is, he is getting distracted by the beloved disciple though. He's losing his focus. He's forgetting what it is Jesus is calling him to. And in this, I think that we can identify with Peter very much. Because Jesus does seem to have this unique relationship with the beloved disciple. But what Peter is forgetting is that Jesus has a unique relationship with every single one of us. And what I think we forget often as Christians is that Jesus has a unique relationship with every single one of us. Because we have been created to be unique. So the relationships that Jesus has with each and every one of us, it's going to look different from person to person. But it is so easy for us to be distracted by others. And as Christians, I think this is one of the biggest problems that we can fall into. I mean, how many of us have had moments where we listen to somebody else's answer in a Bible study? Or we listen to somebody else talking about their faith? Or we listen to uh, the way uh, somebody is described in our small groups or when we're at church on the, on the, in the parking lot. And we feel intimidated because they seem to just have a better faith than we do. They seem to have more knowledge of the Bible. They seem to have a more upstanding life. They seem to just understand faith better than we do. How many of us have been in that moment where we start to feel intimidated, uncertain, like we need to live up to somebody else's standard that they've set? I think that's actually a really common feeling for a lot of people and it can get in the way of us following Jesus because we can start thinking that we're never going to be that good. We're never going to be as good as this person over here. We start being distracted by other people. On the other hand too, how many times have we heard other Christians attacking another Christian's faith? Saying that their faith isn't good enough, that their faith doesn't live up to the standard. We can get distracted because we see positive examples, but then we can see Christians tearing each other down and saying that if somebody doesn't believe exactly like we believe, if somebody doesn't believe the same exact faith that we have, or if there's a nuance there or a difference, they start saying that the faith is worse, that it's deficient, that everybody has to believe in the way we do and starts focusing on the things they believe are negative about somebody else's faith. It is so easy for us as Christians to be distracted by others. And we shouldn't beat ourselves up over this. This is human. It's just what human beings seem to do. But that's why I love Peter's question here so much. That in this moment, 
this beautiful scene where Peter has just been restored. He's been forgiven. They've been reunited and reconciled and the resurrected Lord is there in front of him. What does Peter do? He gets distracted. He starts focusing on the beloved disciple and he says, what about him? But if I love Peter's question, which I do, I love Jesus's answer even more. Because what is Jesus's answer here to Peter? When you look at what the text tells us, what the Gospel of John tells us, I'm going to paraphrase here, but Jesus' answer to Peter is basically, that's none of your business. What is it to you? Why are you focused on the beloved disciple, Peter? Why are you focused on him? And then Jesus says, follow me. But I don't think most of our English translations actually get this accurately. When I read it in the Greek, it's a little more emphatic. It's like Jesus saying, you follow me. There's that emphasis there that gets missed in some translations. Peter says, what about him? Jesus says, what is that to you? Why are you worried about him? You follow me, Peter. That's the answer Jesus gives every single one of us when we are in those moments. When we are so focused on how great somebody else's faith seems, how put together they seem, how much better they seem at being Christian than we are, Jesus' answer to us is, you follow me. And there's a command in that, but there's also, more importantly, an invitation. Because when Jesus says, you follow me, he is saying, you as you are. Jesus doesn't want Peter to be the beloved disciple. Peter, in all of his brashness, that is who Jesus wants to be the leader. That is who Jesus is going to lift up and to reinstate because Peter is who he is. Jesus needs Peter to follow him as Peter, and Jesus needs you to follow him as you. You are not called to be somebody else who you think their faith is all put together. That's not who God made you to be. If you're having those thoughts, if you're wondering about that, that's not who God made you to be. If you don't feel like you have certain faith, that is okay. Jesus still calls you wherever you are, whatever you're dealing with, Jesus calls you to follow him. And if you find yourself focused on other people's faith, pointing out how it's failed because they voted differently than you, or because they have a different set of beliefs than you do around a certain topic. If you find yourself focusing on how you think other people's faith is deficient, Jesus is saying to you, you follow me. And the emphasis for you is on the me there. Put your eyes on Jesus. Focus on Jesus. Be the best Christian you can be. And let Jesus work on other people. If you think that they're deficient in some way, Jesus will handle that. Jesus will fix them. Point your eyes to Jesus and help them to see Jesus better. This answer that Jesus gives to Peter, it sums up faith so well for me. You follow me. That is what Jesus calls us to. Wherever we are, whatever we're dealing with, Jesus is calling us as we are to begin following him or to continue following him. So I love this question that Peter raises. And I love Jesus' answer even more. Like I said, it was hard for me in high school following my sister. And it wasn't until about three years into high school that I finally just stopped caring. I just accepted I was never going to be my sister. 
I was not going to have great grades. I was not going to play sports at a varsity level. In fact, by the time I quit high school, I didn't play any sports. I just surfed, skated, snowboarded, read comic books, read books I wanted to read. That was who I was. And when I finally embraced that that's who God created me to be and that's who God was calling me to be, I found myself getting more involved in church, more involved in youth group, and just following Jesus better than I ever had. And that's continued throughout life. That's an invitation Jesus has for each and every one of us to accept who it is God has created us to be, who it is God has called us to be, and to follow him as we are. That's what eventually happens with Peter's story too. Peter embraces who Jesus has called him to be. And in the book of Acts, we learn Peter becomes the best and most dynamic early evangelist the church has. That's who Jesus called Peter to be. So that's the invitation in front of all of us now. Jesus is saying to you, follow me. May we take up that invitation and may we step out trusting that Jesus knows what he's doing when he calls us to be his disciples. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.